Welcome to Talent First. In this episode, I chat to Jennifer Cox, Director for Ireland at Women in Cybersecurity and Security Engineering Manager at Tenable. I had the best time talking to Jennifer about topics ranging from how she entered the industry, her career journey, uh, what diversity means to her, and her actionable points about how not only to create, but promote inclusive workplace culture to attract diverse talent. And there are A-team analogies, everything you would want from a podcast on diversity. We had an absolute blast recording this one. Uh, We could have chatted for at least another hour. So as ever, hope you enjoy. Jennifer, thank you for joining me today. I know you've been traveling for work. You're incredibly busy. You've got so much going on. So I really do appreciate your time. You're very welcome. I'm proper excited to do this. I've been buzzing all morning. I'm just waiting to get on. Oh, brilliant. So look, let's start by talking a little bit about you. So really interested in your journey in cybersecurity. How did you get started? Where are you now? And, you know, and of course, talking about your many nominations and accolades and so on. And um, my journey into cyber it was far from traditional. We call it the, the squiggly route as such. Um, and it's definitely a talking point I found over the last few years, for sure. Um, the more I work with, with diverse groups in tech, it becomes much more apparent that you need people with this kind of entry as much as you need people with a direct entry into it. So for me, I started working in tech nearly 18 years ago um, and kind of accidentally I got an admin role in a tech company where my job was to log support cases into the queue. And obviously I knew enough about computers to understand when they were using technical terms, what those things meant. Um, and over time, because the support team was busy, I learned how to answer many of the questions before I even put them into the queue. So I would open a case, answer the question, close the case in my name. Um, And then I got to the point where I was answering as many as anyone else in the support team. So I got a job in the support team. Um, And all of the skills I learned then were um, on job. So, you know, we worked with lots of different customers and we were ultimately their their IT support for everything from phone systems to servers and exchange and whatnot. Payroll, accountancy and retail software. um, And then became a support supervisor and then became ultimately the IT coordinator over an 11 year period with that company. So I went from being, like say, logging those cases as an admin to being the person that looked after the network with three different sites. Um, And then the company that I worked for also owned, it was part of a bigger company that also owned a lot of like car sales companies and such too. So I maintained the networks, the infrastructure. One day you'd find me climbing under desks, putting things together. And the next day I'd be, you know, planning to to install and update servers or, or roll out new software or new um, technology to everybody else in the company then from there. Um, so after 11 years there, I wanted to get into cybersecurity. It was relatively new to people and uh, we hadn't yet a budget for it there. So I took a risk and decided to take a step technically downwards back to frontline support and move to Tenable. So I've been with Tenable now for nearly eight years. It'll be eight years in January. Um, and I've begun with first line support with them. And some people might think, are you mad? Because the company I used to work for was five minutes away from my house. And then I started working for Tenable, which was a two hour drive from my house. And I have four boys and my husband, and now I have a dog. Um, so that meant a, you know, a little bit more strain, but what I could see for me was that in doing that, 
it may pay off and I might get the opportunity to do more because now I was going to work for a global company rather than a national one. So it did very quickly. Then I managed to move from frontline to second line to senior. Um, and then I had an opportunity to move to the security engineering team, did that again, stepped down a little because I hadn't done it before. So associate, SE, senior SE, and finally the ultimate goal for me was to get into leadership. So now I'm in leadership in the security engineering team for EMEA in Tenable, and I manage um, our post our post sales SEs, <clears throat> excuse me, our um, emerging SEs, and then I have the global security architects as well. So they look after some of the biggest deals globally for the company. It's been an interesting journey, and actually, it's been great fun. I say interesting like it was a bad thing, but the whole thing has been great fun, and I'm always learning. I think it's really important that people hear about your background as well, that you weren't, I mean, whatever it was called 19 years ago, you know, but let's just say cybersecurity. So you didn't start in that realm. You've kind of grown into it. I think it's it's really important for people to hear that. I think it's really important for uh, employees to hear that as well. Um, so when they're looking at CVs and they're advertising a role, it doesn't have to be that someone has been in security from day one. There are different avenues um, into this profession. I found as well, like the more people I, I meet in cybersecurity as well, the more I learn about the colourful backgrounds. Like for me, any study that I've done prior to on-job study um, was in theatre studies, any certifications and such. And then I've done um, degree work in psychology. So not even remotely related to tech, but none of it was useless all of it has been absolutely useful in the roles that i've been in you go into sales of course you're going to use theater and psychology you know they seem really actually surprisingly relevant when you go into that and i've worked with people in cybersecurity that were used to be sailors used to be carpenters nurses teachers they've come from all sorts of backgrounds and switched and moved into it and what you end up getting is a is a really diverse team which means that everybody's thinking about things differently so if you've got a, a either an offensive team or a defensive team they're the kind of ones you want on it because if everybody's thinking the same way with all of the same experience and the same backgrounds then you're definitely absolutely going to miss something in either side of that and you want to have people that are going to think differently to everybody else so there's a little bit about then all these kind of awards and accolades and, and things that you've been put up for and <laughs> They, are, they have a tendency to um, to catch me by surprise, and I and I always I jest because um, I think one of my biggest fears ever is that I may ever win them and have to walk through that massive crowd of people to go and collect an award. <laughs> and people might think, "What?" Because you're always like, you know, I seem to I talk at events and I'm, I you know I go to a lot of, of uh, busy places as such and have a lot of conversations with lots of people. And uh, none of that particularly intimidates me, but the idea of, of having to walk through a crowd of people on a moment's notice like that really does intimidate me. It, there is a lot to be said for for many of these awards and the, the recognition there. And it's not just about my recognition, but the idea that people are taking time to think about what's different about people in the workplace and in cyber and recognizing those attributes as such. So for me, anything I've been like, Yesterday, there was awards for, for Women in Tech Global in, in Paris, and I was up for an Ally Award. Most of the ones I end up up, up for are things like mentorship or um, role models and stuff like that, which always gives me a giggle because that was never my intention. You know, I just do what I do the way I like to do it. And yay, if somebody takes, you know, some sort of goodness away from it or learns to do something differently or feels like they've, they've got anything that they can take from what I do and, and make it their own, 
then win-win. Do you know, I think that's awesome. Um, I don't think I would have ever have done anything differently, whether there was awards or not, but seeing more and more of those awards and making more and more of those connections with um, women and, and people in diverse communities, because I also have ADHD, so I get to roll into the neurodiverse community then too. But seeing, meeting all these people and learning much more about their work lives and their environments has been the most rewarding part out of it all. I mean, it, it is fab to have uh, certificates and awards and things like that, but the best part out of it is the people that I'm meeting at it and learning stuff from them. And they blow my mind day after day after day. And I take away from all of those things, not just connections, but their experiences that help me to do better as a leader and as a speaker or an, as a parent, even, you know, in cases as well. So it is like, say, I, I, I get sometimes I get really embarrassed when something like any kind of award thing comes up, I don't really know what to say because it was never the ultimate goal. And I'm, and I get, and I'm also, you know, Irish, we're terrible at taking any kind of compliment. <laughs> <laughs> you just die a death if anyone draws attention to you. But I have learned in the last couple of years that it's important to tell people that you're up for those things. Anyone who's up for it, if, they're, if they feel humbled by it or embarrassed in some way by it, because we're just not comfortable with that. What I've learned is that in me saying that I'm up for it or that I'm attending these awards or that I'm involved in these things it allows other people permission to feel the same way but it also allows other people to see that there's recognition happening for people beyond the typical in all of these areas as well and that there's recognition for things like allies and role models and leaders and you know and mentors and all of that kind of stuff that it's not just about doing your day job and doing it well it's about being a good person and giving for me, it's about opening doors for the people following behind, you know, so I'm at this 18 years. I'm only involved in all things kind of diversity, really, for the last five or six. I found time for it. But if this had been around 18 years ago, I really I, sometimes I want I ponder what would I be doing now? Where would I be? What would I be involved in? Would my career have progressed faster? I think absolutely it would have if, you know, if things like mentorships and whatever were available. So. For me, I get over myself and I post about these things because I think everyone needs to know that there's finally recognition for it and that these things exist. And, you know, it does every time it encourages other people to step outside of their comfort zone and, and do more and be more and connect with more people and, you know, bring it on. And then whatever's next, do I don't even know, is there anything next? Whatever's next, we'll, we'll do something similar and we'll encourage more people to do more for the people following them as well, you know? So following on from that, it kind of leads on really nicely to my first question. So I just want to focus in on your work with women in cybersecurity. So WESIS. So I got an email from them yesterday to say that I'd been joyfully accepted into the WESIS community. I don't think I've ever been joyfully accepted anywhere. <laughs> I thought that was really lovely. I was I just, you know, ran downstairs to my um to the rest of the office going, I've been joyfully accepted somewhere. Um <laughs> So now I'm really, really happy about that. And I'm, I'm just really happy to see how I can support the venture. But what I want you to do is just maybe talk to, you know, what WESIS does, their mission, and then your involvement with that. Yeah. So WESIS is, is ultimately about supporting women in cybersecurity. And uh, the joyful thing, I remember seeing that as well, because obviously we've read the proofs of the mails before they go out. And if you could see the WhatsApp group for the leaders in the WESIS UK and I affiliate, you would feel the joy like we are so excited every time we get new members and we've just uh, put out notification now that we're 
preparing for our ambassador program for 2024 and looking for people who want to apply to be part of that too. Um, OASIS ultimately is about getting a community of women in the same industry together, but also not just ones that are already in the industry, but all of those who are entertaining and entering the industry, whether they're already working in a different part of the industry or a different one altogether, or whether they're considering studying at early stages of their studies or maybe finishing degrees and things like that. So at any stage of a career of somebody potentially looking at cybersecurity and those who've been in it for years, it's about bringing that community together and encouraging more growth for, for women in cyber generally, and then a huge support network there for those who are in it because there is there is still challenges in the field of tech and in the field of cyber that women are experiencing that feel such so dark ages and having that community is so so important i mean there's nothing quite like when you've got a bunch of women behind you cheerleading for every step that you make to really make you make bigger steps so um, we just do everything from running a global mentorship program. I've, I know I've been a part of that and I've made some great friends through it all over the world because you're, you know, you can mentor people anywhere, not just in your region. Um, they have 60 affiliates all over the world. The UK affiliate became UK and I. We were working on it since April, but we just notified everybody in um, September. Um, and I look after, so I'm the director for the Irish side of it. Um, and I look after everything here. It's all taken off super fast at the moment. But our goal ultimately is to give that safe space to all of the all of the women in cyber um, and to yeah to encourage them to grow both personally and professionally with that support network behind them and we have loads of partnerships loads of sponsorships so even for the the UK and I side of things you know we we are able to facilitate free um, cybersecurity training for the members of the affiliate and there's no cost to being a member of the affiliate and um, we're able to you know, have events and we have sponsors just, we have a queue of sponsors dying to sponsor everything from, you know, drinks to Canva um, subscriptions to, you know, a global um, conferences, you know, anything that we want to do, which is fantastic to hear. It's absolutely fantastic to hear. We have partnerships with things like recruitment companies and they do webinars via, with for our members on things from, you know, how to make your CV better, you know, making your LinkedIn look better and um, workshops, everything. And what we're really big into is getting feedback from our community about what it is that they want. So do they want to meet other people? Do they just want to network? Do they want to study more? Is there certifications that they certifications that they want to have that access to? You know, is it that they just want to have more friends because they're the only woman in their team where they're working? And we're here for that. You know, and we have this obviously this massive support network in, in global as well. And all of the affiliates, you know, tip into each other all the time for advice and we get to know each other um, all over the world. In fact, actually, some of the global team were at the same event I was at in Scotland there recently. It was an, an awards event and it was wonderful to see some of them in person. And suddenly the world doesn't seem like such a massive and daunting place. And suddenly if you're working within a team and I've met many women who have worked within a team where there's either toxicity or sexism or lack of growth and progression for for women or people in diverse communities and um, they suddenly realize that they do have a lot of people that that have their back and will encourage them and help them every step of the way with everything from writing an email to getting them more skills or getting them out of that toxic workplace you know we want we're like the big sisters of everybody joining it 
And I think one of the things that the UK and I affiliate has that's slightly different to um, many of the other affiliates is that we're kind of 50-50 between uh, professionals and students. So we have a heavy student base across uh, WESIS Global, which is great because we're seeing them all, you know, we're getting those numbers into the workforce. We have a lot of people that are professionals in cybersecurity in the UK and I want, which means we have a lot of access to people with experience who can answer those questions or have lived those um, situations already um, and have the have the advice when it comes to you know how to get through those there's no point in avoid avoiding the the elephant in the room you know there are a lot of the a lot of situations and challenges that we face but again having the the big sister in the room as such that's going to help you get through them is so so important you know and i see all of them as as my sisters as such you know i'll go to them with, with challenges i have both personally and professionally and we'll help each other through those and, what more could you want from a, a community of people do you know yeah, absolutely and I look I'm very excited to discover how I can be of support because obviously I'm coming at this from a different angle being in search as opposed to just like being in cyber security yeah um but yeah no I'm really excited to see to see what I can do to to kind of help um yeah no it's great yes joyful um so let's I want to just take this back to to kind of basics I guess and and talk about what diversity looks like in cybersecurity teams in particular mm -hmm. um and i guess this is a two-part question so what does diversity or what should it look like and why are we struggling to attract especially women into the industry so what it should look like to me it's pretty simple like when you walk outside your front door and especially in cities that's what it should look like everybody that you see you know cities are typically more diverse anyway i know i live in a, a small town in in wexford in ireland and you know it's diverse enough but it's not city diverse do you know what i mean um but when you walk outside in a city and walk around and all those people that you see that's how diverse it should be you know there should be no question about whether anyone belongs in that community or not and you know it does happen um but the diversity should also be beyond you know sex and skin type and it's just even the way of thinking so for me people's backgrounds being colorful coming into cyber is huge you know you need to have that i remember being at a, at a conference and giving an example once which aged me really badly at that conference um where i spoke about like the a team i'm of a generation i i remember the a team it was on tv in the 80s you're smiling and nodding so i'm hopeful you remember it as well <laughs> but for anyone who doesn't know what they are it's basically it was a, a group of four guys who were like ex um army i suppose or whatever the highest point that is but um ex that where they went and created their own like gang and protected innocent people um in situations but it was great fun to watch at the time kind of macgyver style but what i had used as an example is that if you wanted to create the perfect team of four people the guy who who plays hannibal and it was the brains of the operation he always had the ideas he was always the creative thinker he was always able to to build out the plan from start to finish perfectly in order for it to be you know executed well everybody wants animals that's what you want they're going to be easy to manage they're going to know exactly how things should work they're going to have all the discipline and all the background that's needed for that role but if you put four hannibals on a team then there's things you're missing so you have the murdoch character who always seemed a little bit crazy but that meant people kept their distance and he could just fly so many things past like the social engineer of the situation then you had face who was pretty so people didn't ask for his credentials you know and he was able to win all sorts of people over just by being handsome 
you know, and then you had B.A. Brockus, who was afraid of flying, but looked really intimidating and huge and big and bulky um, and, you know, scared people. Um, but when you put all of these different personalities together, as Hannibal said, I love it when a plan comes together, you had this um, perfect execution of a plan where everything was covered across um, what, you know, whatever needed to be done. So when you, if you apply that same kind of thing to, to cybersecurity, yes, for Hannibal sounds perfect, but you're missing someone who's thinking about the, the social engineering side of it. You know, you're missing the person who's gonna be brave and power through and people are gonna be, you know, um, are going to do whatever it is that they say regardless and you're you know you're missing the the charmer and the salesy person kind of role then there too you need all of those pieces to have a perfect puzzle together so if you so to me diversity is having a team that that covers everyone so if you're looking at your team and you're not seeing all of the different skin colors and you're not seeing different religious and cultural backgrounds you're not seeing different beliefs beliefs and sexes then you don't have all your bases covered. And in cybersecurity, the biggest concern that everybody has is covering all your bases. Like, how can you protect yourself? If you, you know, you're at home in your house and you're like, great, I have all of these alarms on every window in the house, you know, and I have all these cameras inside the house to make sure that I'm protected. Then you leave your front door wide open because you are so focused on the windows and the cameras. You know, it just doesn't make any sense. So to me, that's what a diverse team looks like. If you if you can look at your team and you say, yeah, I don't feel like there's anything missing here, then you're doing well. But if you look at them and, you know, if you put out a checklist of what the basics of diversity are, that <clears throat> are you at least even hitting that? Most teams are not, you know. The first time I ever worked with a woman on a team who was a technical person working on a team with me was five years ago. And I've been working in tech like say for 18 years so i didn't question it before then but i remember how excited i was when she was joining the team and i remember the phenomenal difference it made to me having her on the team and i was in elite in a in a senior role at the time so i remember watching the impact that that made to everybody else in the team and she brought so much that was different to that team purely because she was a woman and um, beyond the fact that she also actually happened to be a GP before she came into cyber. Now that was an interesting tale. <laughs> but you know, just as a woman in that team, she had them all thinking differently. She was a totally different approach to, to everything. Um, and it just to watch it from the outside, it was fascinating to understand the impact I may have had in, in my teams then too. So that was a really long-winded answer. But diversity, it's as simple as walk outside your front door and have a look. If all of those kinds of people are not in your team, then you're missing something. Yeah, and I think as well, I've seen a lot at the minute on, on LinkedIn, there seems to be a, um, the, the resurgence of this argument of we can't just put people into roles because they happen to be a woman or of colour or, you know, and and I keep trying to say that's, that's actually not the argument here. We're not saying that women should get the job because she's a woman. We're saying yeah. we need diverse, well, we need diverse teams because, like you say, if we just have the same people with the same background, same thoughts, same mm -hmm. processes, that's you know you're going to miss something but also in this industry in particular we need people from underrepresented groups because we need the talent you know yep. we're not saying that we should give people a job just because we're going to tick some boxes that's not yep. it's just not the argument but I've, I've actually seen quite recently a resurgence in that kind of rhetoric and also yep. resurgence in that kind of what aboutery as well it drives me crazy um and i 
I'm never entirely sure where that's coming from. And I used to get really defensive when people said that. I used to think it was an accusation that I didn't deserve to be in the role that I was in. And then I got over myself and realized it wasn't all about me. Um, but I remember having a conversation with my, my my boss years ago when I was at the beginning of my, you know, getting involved in all things diverse kind of journey. Um, and I was trying to understand myself because the question I was being asked all the time is like, if you have a woman and a man and they both have exactly the same backgrounds with exactly the same qualifications, it's not fair that you give that role to the woman. He could have gotten it either. And I was like, how do I answer that question? I was explaining it to my boss. Like, how do you pick the person? Like, what's the answer to the question? Because in my mind, if I have a team full of men, then and they are exactly the same, these two applicants, then I would put the woman into the role. But how do I justify that to somebody who's challenging me on it? And he was very articulate, actually. And then he had put it to me. He goes, well, she's not the same. Because if you've got a team full of men and then you have a woman and a man who apply to the role and they're exactly the same, which doesn't exist, but they're exactly the same in every single technical way and background and, and you know, all of that. He said, they're not the same. She is a woman. So she's bringing something different into the role. So he said, if, you know, if every credential is there and they're ticking all the boxes for what you wanted as an applicant for that role, then great. He said, you've got 100% of what you want from that role from him and 100% of what you want in that role from her. But you also have this addition that she's bringing to the role purely because she's a woman. She's going to think differently. She's going to act differently. She's going to have had a different experience in the world, whether she knows it or not, than most men would have had. Well, then men will have had because she's a woman. So he said, you're bringing something different in the role from there. And when he said it, I was like, oh, now I feel daft. Like, that's really <laughs> obvious. And, and it makes perfect sense. But when he articulated it, I felt much, actually, to be from that point onwards, I felt way better tackling that conversation with people because I was so focused on being equal and being treated the same and being allowed equal opportunity and being capable of doing the same things that I had actually failed to remember the thing that made us different. And that is just as valid as any certificate or any degree or any years of experience because she is absolutely going to look at the world differently to guys like I stood in a room recently I was doing a, a talk and I was talking about apps and and what apps you could use in, um, in companies that would appeal to people in diverse groups um, or make them feel like that the company was more inclusive and thinking about what's different about them everything from you know apps that for that read out loud for people that, that struggle with sight to you know map and map apps or thing and then i was talking about an app like uber where you have the ability to share your your ride with somebody so they know where you are at all times and i asked for a show of hands in the room now the room was probably 30 percent women and 70 percent men at the time and i asked for a show of hands for how many people have ever shared their ride with somebody um, and there was about I'd say about half the room shared their hands. So obviously there were some men in that, but all of the women had had raised their hands. And then I said, how many of you have shared the ride with somebody because of safety rather than letting them know where you're at and how long you're going to take to get to them? And all bar one of the men put their hands down and all of the women kept their hands up. Now that's thinking differently. Like most men will go out for a run at nighttime or exercise in the dark, or they'll walk down that laneway because it's shorter to get there. But women won't we will constantly think about where we're at and our environment and one earbud in because you're listening to your surroundings or i used to suggest and, and text my brothers when i was in london traveling i remember coming home at midnight one time getting trains um, and i have two brothers that are in london sorry hence pointing them out i have three sisters in in ireland but we have a family chat group and uh 
I started texting them, I'm at this station, I'm now at this station, heading to this station. And my younger brother was like, it's like 12.30, Jen, why are you telling me where you are? And I said, because I'm, there's only about five people on this train. I was late getting on it. And I said, I want you to know where to look for my body. And it was, I was half joking. He was like, oh my gosh, oh, well, I'm not going to sleep now till I know you're back at your hotel. <laughs> but I was like, that's how, not all women necessarily do that. I jest about it. I love true crime stuff and stuff. So I'm always jesting about that. But we definitely look at it differently. So if, if somebody's creating an app and that app is for travel, um, in the same way that the first um, health and fitness apps were brought out and they didn't include things like periods in it because they were created by men, didn't encourage them to include that information in it. But if somebody's creating an app and the app is for travel, then if you only have men building it into it, you're not thinking about security in the app. So you're not appealing to women using it. So when it comes to things like cybersecurity and really in, in any area of tech, um, we are bringing something different to it purely because we're women in that case in the same way neurodiverse people will bring something different because of neurodiverse disabled people black people asian people you know lgbtq everybody is looking at the world differently to your average middle-aged white man and that's important especially in cybersecurity because everybody that's thinking about breaching you or attacking you or just getting up to mischief they're not all middle-aged white men funnily enough you know so we need to have people who think like them thinking about how to protect against them as well it's amazing how much actually women do think differently and don't even think about it because it's kind of, yeah, it's just, you know, innate, isn't it? You know, and I guess we we raise our girls to be far more secure, uh, kind of aware of their surroundings. Yeah. yeah. I've never actually thought about that like that before. I think that's, yeah, that's fascinating. Um, Yeah, no, fascinating. Um. <laughs> So let's move on to talk about, so in these episodes, I always like to talk about, you know, action around innovation and um, what businesses can actually do to attract and retain diverse talent. And we talked before um, before this episode about creating the culture. Mm -hmm. So I wondered if you could just speak to that a little bit. Um, so for me, I, I tend to act upon things that I learn about from people that I'm speaking to, which is why you always find me popping up on my LinkedIn at the most random of events. So I'm like, oh, I'll go there. I haven't been before. I'm definitely going to meet different people. and I'm going to learn something new. Um, and what, what, one of the things that I learned from my own experience and then managed to discover that it happens to everybody else, too, is about how companies and individuals speak on their, their social media. So you've got LinkedIn, for example, it's professional social media. So, you know, you're not going to be talking about religion and politics as a general rule on LinkedIn. You're going to be talking about business and work. I had been at Pride Parade with Tenable. We had a stand and we'd load swag and we weren't trying to create sales leads. We were there because we have a big um, LGBTQ community within Tenable and we, and we celebrate it. We have lots of the ERGs like most companies do. Um, so I brought my son with me. He was seven at the time and he proudly wore, he has a rainbow jumper with his name on it and he could not wait to get all done up for the day. Um, we had a ball face painting and all that stuff. I took a few pictures of the team and of me and with him and posted them on my social media, um, you know, adding Tenable in it as I do. And very quickly I got this flurry of connections that came through from people who, um, and the first one that commented or that messaged me had said, it's really great to see a company actually doing something for Pride Month as opposed to just having the rainbow logo. And I was like, huh? 
surely others are doing that. So I went back and I had a look through my LinkedIn feed at all the other companies. And to be fair, there was only the, the, the rainbow logo for the ones that had popped up. There wasn't a lot of pictures beyond us for people actually actively involved in doing things. Now, I know that was a, a celebratory thing. And, and honestly, the first time I went to the, the Pride Parade in Dublin, it was it opened my eyes because we were wedged between the Samaritans and another um, suicide group helpline. You know, and I was even though I would be have been supportive of that um, community forever, I didn't really appreciate the difficulties that they've had and continue to have depending on how people treat them within the community. So uh, realizing this when that person got in, in contact and I did a little bit more research and poked around some other companies and saw what they were posting on their LinkedIn feeds. And then, you know, I forgot about it, went out and did other things. And then the next time that I posted, I was posting about something to do with, you know, women at Tenable and what we were doing. And again, a flurry of contacts came through from women in communities who either felt unsupported or um, in the, within their company, or again, for International Women's Day, they see lots of companies posting, um, but not actually actively doing things about it. But what I discovered too, and we've had conversations internally, you know, in Tenable about it as well, that for both companies and individuals, depending on what you're trying to achieve, but let's take it from the company perspective now, you need to tell your community that is potentially your future employees, that you support them. You need to be seen to do it properly. And it's not just rainbow logos and celebrating uh, International Women's Day that one day a year. You need to be, if you're doing events, which lots of companies are, you know, I've met plenty of people who are like, my company is fantastic. It's so supportive of me. We've got all these additional um, offerings that are there that allow flexibility at work and, and you know I have children or I'm, I, I can work from home or all these different things that they do um, but we can't get women to apply for jobs or, or diverse groups to apply for jobs and I, I would open their profile on LinkedIn in front of the company's profile on LinkedIn in front of them and I would scroll through and go because nobody knows that you're great at these things tell people like your best form of advertising is word of mouth so you need to get this stuff out there so if you're having events as a company, if you're having events internally, if you're supporting community events externally, you should be singing that stuff from the rooftop because simply stating that you have, you know, um, a stand at the Pride Parade in Dublin or simply stating that you're sponsoring, a, you know, a, a Weasis event, she says. <laughs> what you're doing is you're putting it out there to people like in the LGBTQ community that you are beyond a rainbow logo that you genuinely support that community and those people are safe within the culture of your business the same with women that it's not just about you know doing the women's day post you're getting behind that community that's bringing more women into the into the workforce for workforce in cyber and in tech that you're actively doing something about it and i believe that many of these companies are but because they're so preoccupied with being business on their, their websites and their LinkedIn posts, that they're forgetting that the people that are in those diverse communities, they, we, um, what's the word I'm trying to look for? We vet, I was gonna say vent is not the word, we vet. We vet the communities or the companies that we wanna go to. We wanna know that when we go to that company that they're gonna support us and support our needs because I'm sure you felt this way yourself over the years. Like if I feel supported in the in my bigger picture as a woman, I will give you 150% back as an employee. And there's nothing quite like that loyalty. And you'll see it from diverse groups, not just from women, because they're so used to being, getting the, the crumbs, being at the end of the queue and being mistreated that the minute you treat them nice, 
they will give you so much more than your average Joe. Do you know what I mean? So you need to say these things. You need to put it out there, what it is that you're doing. You need to have no shame and no embarrassment about it. You need to be super proud. And that goes for leaders as well. You know, it, it, as a leader, um, obviously I join all of the ERGs in Tenable because I support all of the ERGs in, in Tenable. But as male leaders, especially middle-aged white leaders, you need to be seen to be involved in those communities too. You don't have to go around wearing rainbow t-shirts, but simple things like being a part of any groups that you have, or you know, if they're doing social events and fundraisers, you know, to be seen to be a part of those tells your future employees that they're gonna be safe as an employee in your team. Um, and I know I appreciate that a lot of the, the, the men that are leading teams are kind of going, I don't really know what to say. What if I say the wrong thing? What if I do the wrong thing? Is it all gonna go wrong? Well then throw your hand in the air and go, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I would rather do it and make a mistake than not do it at all. So get involved with the communities, ask them how you can help, ask them what you can do. You know, don't just throw money at it, be seen to be with them and then post that. And for me, I never have a problem. When I open up a role in my team, I usually get around 50 or 60% applications from women. And across all of the applications, I will have every kind of diverse group imaginable. Um, I didn't the first time I opened a role and I was involved in stuff, but I hadn't been posting as much. Um, and I do now, I never have an issue doing it. So I've seen the benefit as an individual in a hiring uh, as a hiring manager, I've seen the benefit for the company. Um, so I, that's the one thing I, I, I would tell to any company, any individual, especially to leaders to be aware of. Like, it's great to do the things. And it's, some people don't feel like they want to tell the whole world that they're involved in it because they just want to support it. But you're not telling the whole world. You're telling a small community of people that they're safe in your team, that they're safe in your company and that they're welcome and can progress because you have their back you you know you support their needs that's what you're doing it's not about you <laughs> get over yourself it's not about you it's about them you know I think that's a really key point there and that's why I'm a big fan of having that B in DEIB yeah um, because of course you know diversity does bring with it innovation but it's not just diversity diversity is the result isn't it and then inclusion is the action and then belonging is the feeling so you could have a really diverse group of people but if they don't feel safe yeah and if they don't feel like you know I mean I hesitate to use that phrase authentic self because that in itself is quite vague but we'll just use it for arguments purpose here but if they don't feel safe to bring their authentic self to work innovation's not going to happen because you keep your mouth shut don't you absolutely you don't want to be seen as a person that sticks out or like you say says the wrong thing or whatever so i think i totally agree with you that it has to be a, a kind of holistic culture from the top down in order for people to be able to be innovative and productive and and at the end of the day look let's be honest it's about it's about profit as well and return on investment and value and all of those things. But yeah. you're not going to get those things as a business mm. if you don't have people who feel like they are able to have a voice and that they are heard as well. So I completely agree with that point. And people in diverse communities as well, we have like spidey senses. Do you know, we, we know when somebody is putting us in a role because we they need a woman or, you know, they need a, a person that's got a different skin color because they're not looking diverse enough. We're, we're not stupid <laughs> you know we can tell that we'll do the research we'll check out the company we'll check out the individual we'll check out their teams we'll see how long people are lasting in roles in their teams people who are different sorry are lasting in roles in their teams and um, we will do all of that research 
And another thing I learned, sorry, recently on the, the recruitment side is um, that you need to leave your roles open a little bit longer. So I had, had opened a role and it was uh, about a week or so and I was getting like 10% women applying. And I was talking to the recruiter going, what have I done wrong? I haven't done anything differently. And I went through my posts and I thought, have I said something or done something that people aren't applying for this? Am I missing something somewhere? And he went off to have a look through the, the job spec and see, did we miss something there? Because we're always very careful to make sure that it's not, you know, targeting any particular type of individual. Obviously, the skills they'll need, but um, that we weren't excluding anyone. Um, and then I was busy for about three days. And when I came back to talk to him again, then I was up to that 50% ratio of applicants. Um, so what I learned, which I should have known in hindsight, but I'm learning all the time. What I learned is that the women, I had had one woman apply for the role in the beginning, but um, that the women that applied later were waiting to apply, do the research and apply correctly. You know, they weren't just throwing a CV at us. Um, and every woman that had applied after that, you know, they were in the right location where we were looking for, they had the things that we were looking for. And they'd built out a really spot on application, like top quality um, for that role. So as somebody who's incredibly impatient, you know, it comes hand in hand with ADHD and I'd have a tendency to open a role and go, can we close that by the end of the week? Can we just get them in and get it done? <laughs> now I'm like, no, I need to leave it open for at least two or three weeks to make sure I get them because women will wait. They'll make sure that they fill out the perfect application for it. They want to tick all the boxes, even though we're encouraging them to apply, even if they don't. Um, and they will come in on your second week and your third week, you'll get them in. So you need to make sure you're not rushing your recruitment too, that you have time to allow to, to allow them to do their research and then apply for your roles as well. That was a recent one for me. And in hindsight, when I learned these things, you know, I may be a woman, but it doesn't mean I know how every woman behaves. And in hindsight, learning these things for me, you know, they seem quite obvious, but I go every time I, every time I learn it, I'm like, oh my God, of course. But, um, but also as I learn these lessons, you'll hear me, I preach about it all the time. I'm like, did you know? You know, so people need to know and share, because I, I think if I'm a woman and I didn't know that, surely there's other people out there that didn't know that too. So there you go. It's interesting as well, like from, from my end of things, the reticence that I get still from some women. When I look at their profile, I look at their CV and where, because I'm at the kind of C-suite, that, that end of yeah. things. And I look at some women and, and I'll call them and say, I've got this opportunity. And they go, oh, but it's a CISO role. Or it's, and I'll go, uh-huh. <laughs> but I, I'm not ready. Yeah, you are. You know, yeah. you've got all this experience, you've done all of these things, you're a leader of people, you know, you're, you're this, that and the other. And, and the, there's still that kind of, oh, do you think, you know, yeah. and I think yeah. I talked about this earlier, like a while ago, I did that post on five things women over 40 should stop wearing, which was naughty. But and one of them was thinking that you have to tick every box, which you really you really don't you know and look you know i've said it before of course there are going to be technical things possibly qualifications and so on that you are going to need for especially yeah. those senior level roles in cybersecurity. i'm not saying you can go in blind you know yeah. what i'm saying um but sometimes job specifications as well are written by people that haven't been in the role before dare i say and yeah. so are using generic job descriptions with the technical stuff thrown in there um mm -hmm. So, yeah, no, it would be really interesting to do a kind of survey about when people put that that job advert out there, who are the first people that apply? You know, have other people had that same experience with that that role that you put up before? Absolutely, actually, it would be. Um, and I, I, what I found, right, so I've, I've mentored people 
I started mentoring back in like 2019. I've probably mentored about 30 or 40 people by now. I used to keep count of it, but I don't anymore. So men, women, people from all sorts of cultures and backgrounds in different parts of the world. Primarily, it would, it would be women, probably about 70% of them are women. Um, and what I have learned consistently is that almost every woman I've mentored at some point needs permission. And that sounds so, I feel dirty even saying that out loud, but they'll say something like, I saw this job coming up and it looks really interesting. And I was thinking about applying for it. And I go, uh, apply for it? <laughs> oh, I, I've never found any of the men that I've mentored say, I saw this job that looks really interesting and I'm going to apply for it. That's a tiny, tiny difference. But I think that there's a there's a sense of us being so used to getting what's left or being so used to being overlooked for things that we need someone to tell us that it's okay to try for it. I've, I've mentored women who have been wanted to get out of the company that they're in and have applied for roles equal to or less than their, what they're currently doing. And, you know, we've had a good talking to about look at all the skills that you have for the role that you do and then look at all the things that you do beyond the role that you do because we always do more than we're supposed to and now look at these jobs which are up a step apply for them and she got them i've you know i've, I've mentored women who wanted to get um increases and like i don't understand or you know how am i going to get an increase i don't know if they maybe they don't think i deserve it or whatnot and we sit down and we work it out and i give her permission you know by just telling her everything she's already told me about what it is that she do she's done and she's gotten her increase or gotten her promotion in every single case we've gotten them what they wanted but they've needed permission to go and do that and you know i've often thought about i've done it i've actually done it even though i tell people all the time you know you don't need permission for me to do it but what we do and and i have a, an exercise for this that i did for myself for years i still sometimes find myself now talking to my female colleagues and going yeah i was thinking i might look for this or do that or change this and they'll go, yeah, do it. And I, I can hear myself literally asking for permission to do something that I know I can do. But uh, I have an exercise for it um, where I think about somebody that I really love and really care for. And what would I, what would they say if I was in that situation? So if I'm thinking about doing something or going for a promotion, or if somebody is speaking to me in, in a way that is less than respectful or is, is talking over me or is, is getting promoted ahead of me, and I think those things are unfair. I think about the person I really love and really care for. I always think about my sister in this particular case. Obviously, you know, I have my husband and my kids and lots of other people I love and care for. But my sister is boss and she won't let she would never let anybody look at me sideways. Now, they may talk to her terribly and I won't let people talk to her like that. But this is how it works. Like We all have a friend or a sister or a parent or whatever like that. So I think about my sister when I'm doing this and I'm thinking, how do I propose a promotion or an increase how am I going to put this together and I write everything down as she would speak about me because I can do that I've given myself permission to do that then because I'm doing it as her that was the exercise I used to do now I'm at the point at which I'm, I've got over myself a bit and I'm able to do it better I still I can guess myself often but I, it, when I've talked to people, especially in mentoring, I would say to them, you know, tell me about somebody that's really close to you, the person that you trust when you want to talk about problems and work and stuff like that. And they'll tell me about it. And they go, well, would that person allow them to speak to you like that? Or would that person think that you're worthy of a promotion? Would that person think that you're worthy of an increase? Would that person think you should stay in that toxic work environment? And, you know, and I already know the answers they're going to give me because that person loves them and values them. So you should love and value yourself as much as they do. And when you start to think about yourself like that, you start to realize that, hang on, 
I don't want somebody else's crumbs and I don't want what's left in the workplace. I want better and I deserve more. So I'll go and get it. And every single woman that I, I know that, and it's not about me working with them, but every single woman that I've worked with that has been in those situations, every single one has gotten the promotion, gotten the increase, left the toxic workplace and gone somewhere else. But all they needed was to understand how their bestie would talk about them and take that value into themselves. Like, that's something that's it. it in, I want to say it's an inherently female problem, but we do see it across. It's even worse in certain races with yeah. women as well. You know, it gets so much worse, and you're really trying to build them up to think they're worthy of anything. And um, but yeah, that that for me, you have to think about it that way to begin with, and then you know, shoot shoot for the stars as such. We deserve those things. We should go for those things, and we don't. We shouldn't ask for permission. But I think we're generation generationally i think we have another couple of generations before we work that out of our systems this is something we've done for hundreds of years we've waited for permission or got whatever was given to us and we're grateful for it if you look at the what do we call them now the, the new generation is alpha gen alpha like they ain't waiting for permission for no one you know they're going to take what they deserve and they're they're going to tell you where to go if you're not giving them what they deserve and i have a lot of time for that do you yeah. know yeah not from it my daughter's a bit like that which i think is great yeah um she doesn't she's very straightforward and doesn't yeah. take any nonsense you know i think i say our generation i get the feeling i'm a bit older than you but i'll say our generation um i think we were, we were just brought up to be very careful yes um, our parents told us and and honestly i think i think i was a bit um guilty of that as well is that we tell our girls to be careful don't do that watch that don't step on that don't climb that you know kind of um invested in the in the, that generation of girls or our generation that we have to be more careful yeah and up to yeah that, i mean up to a point in socially that's true but in the workplace i agree you know you've got to you've got to go for it which is easier said than done obviously but yeah. I like that what you said about like very often we would never speak to our friends the way that we speak to ourselves yeah. never put other people down the way that we put ourselves down and I you know I talked about this in a podcast actually not long ago and it's interesting to me how and I, I'm, I try to be very aware of it but again it's very difficult mm. to not be self-deprecating and to put yourself down and go oh I don't I don't think I'm good enough to do that and at the end of the day if you do go for it and the person says you don't have enough experience well then you don't have enough experience you've learned and what have you lost like nothing you're still doing whatever you were doing beforehand you've lost absolutely nothing go for it like I, i've done i've done a few workshops from time to time they're my favorite things to do around this around that self-worth and self-confidence and people often think uh, especially women people often think that um oh i'm gonna have to go through like years of, of personal coaching or you know i need to see a, a psychiatrist or a counselor to get over and um, whatever it is that that is a problem and in some cases there can be problems but leaving those aside just your average person we're talking about in this case um and it's tiny things you just need to make teeny teeny tiny changes so if you once you become aware of how you speak to yourself that's the first one that's the that's probably the biggest step of it all once you become aware of how you speak to yourself and catch yourself doing it then you can change it and when you start to change it like you in your head actively go uh no jen you you were not stupid in this situation you were hasty but now you know where you've made a mistake and you know put your hand up correct it and move forward you are not stupid you are hasty let's work on the haste you know and it, this all goes on inside your head and what i've learned over time then is not only what my triggers are 
that send me to that place. But I've learned how to counteract those triggers too, so that instead of sending myself to that place, I'll literally, you know, within my head, do the like face slap and go, ah, 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 and then focus forward and focus on what is going right or where I've learned a lesson. And I think as soon as you can change that internal monologue, it's amazing how differently the world looks. Like I literally get up every morning and I'm like, ooh, opportunity. Every time I open my email, I'm like, opportunity and everything is and it's I, I, I realize that sounds a little bit bubblegumish but it, it genuinely is because when you start seeing yourself of value other people start seeing you of value and next thing people are approaching you about jobs and and opportunities and events and my in my case and speaking and things like that that I know would never have done so if I didn't think of myself that way do you know what I mean and now I have a chance to get involved in so many different things that I love that are fun because of how I speak to myself, that's how I'm where I'm at. Yes, there's there's training and, and career stuff, but I couldn't have done the training and career stuff if I continued to speak to myself the way I used to. Mm-hmm. Do you know, but it can be changed with teeny, teeny, tiny steps, beginning with catching yourself doing it. But one of my favorite workshops to do is is around that kind of stuff. Absolutely love it because I love that moment when you see people realize that, oh, I'm not going to have to spend thousands of pounds or dollars or whatever it is. I'm not going to have to spend years of counseling to fix this kind of thing these are tiny changes and huge impacts like it's 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 the best fun ever yeah fantastic jennifer we've come to the end of our time and i'm really sad because I'm really- <laughs> <laughs> you can see the talk for about another hour about this yeah i think we should we need to return and and do another podcast and talk about all the other thousands of things that i want to talk about but again just thank you so much for your time like i said at the the start i know that you are incredibly busy and um but it's always an absolute it's an uplifting joy talking to you so thank you very much i love how you started and finished with the joy (laughs) 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 that's my kind of life thanks so much for having me this has been great fun